As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Straight from the Source is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know wild ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Remember, too, there are tickets across all the major leagues and teams, so if the Wild aren't doing it for you this season, the Vikings and Wolves are sure off to good starts this year. The app is simple, quick, and easy to use. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Thanks for joining Straight from the Source with Michael Russo, the fifth ever Straight from the Source with Michael Russo here on the Athletic app, anywhere you get your podcasts as well. Very happy to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, our athletic beat writer for the St. Louis Blues, the Stanley Cup's champion St. Louis Blues. Um, We're sitting in the middle of the St. Louis Blues office an hour and a half before the uh, Wild play the Blues here on on Wednesday night, and so I I just said to Jeremy, this is what it's like to uh, to cover a Stanley Cup <laughs> champion team. You get to roll around their offices. We might as well be in Doug Armstrong's office. Yeah, Mike, welcome to my office. Welcome to St. Louis. Uh, yeah, you said you needed a room for the podcast, and uh, Straight from the Source is a big hit. And when I told these people that Straight from the Source needed a home tonight, they uh, they opened up the doors. Do you think Army would let us just sit at his desk? Maybe you can rummage through, see if they're going to react to the <laughs> Vladimir Tarasenko surgery with a big trade. You yeah. Try thumbing through his files why don't we go in there right now i'll put my feet up on the desk you take a picture and we'll tweet it out how funny would it be if army just walked in his office and saw you and i there uh yeah i don't think so so I, i've told jeremy this story before and i think you probably remember this it was at xl energy center when he made the jay bowmeister trade i'm pretty sure and remember he yep. like comes out of like the bow he's like under the stands on the phone 
And I ta- I went up to you. I'm like, hey, something's going on. And then like a day later, they traded for Bo Mister. Yeah, and I remember uh, being at the rink that night when the deal went through uh, because the wireless shot craps. So, um, you know, you, you think something might happen with that because, of course, Mike's giving me the heads up on my own beat, right? <laughs> and uh, and then as soon as I go to tweet it, my wireless uh, goes down on my laptop. And I think every news affiliate in St. Louis beat me to that scoop because I couldn't tweet it. <laughs> you should have seen Army's face when he saw me, too. It was like, it was like he, he knew right away that my reporter instinct was kicking in. And I covered Bo Meester in Florida. So, uh, so I covered him at the very beginning of his career when he was defense partners with Mike Van Ryan. Oh, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, now Mike Van Ryan, uh, well, you got to coach him. Uh, have you first of all have you done that story on the two of their relationship? No, no not the two of them. Okay. And here in St. Louis, the assistants are off limits, so we can't talk to him anyway. That yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It is what it is. Rhino is the guy, I'm telling you, in Florida, like if I had a good guy award, in Florida, he would have gotten it every year that I covered him. He was that great a person to deal with. Just absolutely a treasure to deal with. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we had a guy here named Ken Hitchcock. And uh, <laughs> J.D. used to always say, you ask Hitch what time it was, and he'd build you a watch. And so he probably told us a little bit more than he should have. So when they changed <laughs> coaches and went to Mike Yo, uh, that's when they said, okay, let's uh, let's, let's cut the availability of his assistance off. But, no, Mike is a good guy. He's done a great job with uh, this defense. And uh, Jay Bolmeister, after it looked like it might be over for him last year, he's really rejuvenated himself. Yeah. So, uh, and that obviously wasn't Yo's decision because in, when he was in Minnesota, we were allowed to talk to the assistants then. Yeah. No, I think that's a Doug Armstrong mm-hmm. thing. And you know, you know, around the league, there's pro- there was a Slack. I yeah, think, the other day. The other day yeah, with all the athletic writers around the league, we're talking about you know which team has their assistants available or off limits, and you know what would you say it, it's about half and half? Yeah. Actually, I think it's probably more that that are off limits. Off limits. Yeah, right. That's what I gathered from the thing and I've never covered that situation even when I covered Mike Keenan in Florida I'm pretty sure we were allowed to talk to the assistants the one time where things got a little hairy down in Florida was uh, uh, Mike Keenan was the coach and George Kingston w- was leaning against a um, the, the cage during a morning skate and Ole Okunen circled the net and the knob of George Kingston's <laughs> stick entered Ole Okunen's mouth and just surgically tore it to oh, shreds my goodness. and he spent all day that day in a dentist chair and from that point on we weren't yeah. allowed to talk to george kingston wow well, and my people might be wondering you know why are the assistants not available and you know what doug armstrong says is he wants the message to come from one guy you know yeah, he doesn't want multiple sense. messages uh, coming out but there's so many good stories i mean uh right after his playing career ended all of a sudden a year later steve ott is drawing up plays in overtime that's like great. that's a story waiting to be written but uh, it'll have to wait for another day and even like you can't like say army i just want to write this one story we're not gonna talk about anything about the team he will not let that i've happen. tried it i've tried That's it believe crazy. me yeah all right so jeremy um stanley cup champion at last year january nobody could have ever envisioned that especially you i remember you us talking the wild played around then here and you were just like this is just an absolute nightmare and then mike yo gets fired basically that this was around thanksgiving mike yo gets fired about a week after the wild are here twice and um, and then everything seems to turn around within the next five weeks. How much of it was Craig Berube, or how much was it seriously just Jordan Bington? Combination. Uh, the defense started to turn around in December. I was talking about Jay Bolmeister a minute ago. Like It looked like he was going to retire midseason uh, last year, early on in the season, um, and he wasn't the only one. They just could not play well defensively. The goaltending was not good, but that started to change. If you look at the numbers a little bit in December, uh, of course, the uh, coaching change was made in November, but then you get into January. You're in last place in the league standings, January 3rd. That's right about the time when 
Jordan Bennington gets the call up. He doesn't play right away. Like they still went with Jake Allen and then they had a back-to-back set, I believe, and they go with uh, Jordan Bennington in Philadelphia and he pitches the 3-0 shutout over the Flyers. So what do you do? You give him another start and he just took over from there. But like if you're doing a pie chart and you're trying to give credit to Craig Berube and Jordan Bennington and then the team, the team started to play better. Um, you know, I think you got to give probably 40% to uh, Jordan Bennington because mm-hmm. they, they he gave them a goaltender. You give 40% to Craig Bruby, and then there's another 20%. Everybody just realized, look, we, we, we can play a lot better than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just all came together. And, and Mike, you know, if you're going to wait 52 years for a Stanley Cup, you know, that sure is a way to end that kind of drought. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And, and it, it does also show that still so much is goaltending. I, I remember when Hitch got fired and Mike Yo took over. Jake Allen had like an 870 save percentage around February 1st. And all of a sudden he, you know, has about a 960, beats the wild yeah. in round one. And and all of a sudden things changed there. Then when, when Jake fell apart again, now Mike's the bad coach. Yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell this story, but it involves you. Is the one night where uh, we got Ken Hitchcock at the podium. And we said, what about the goaltending? It was Jake Allen that night. And uh, he said, oh, the goaltending's not, not bad. Uh, you know, we got to play better. And uh, we walked right out of there. And about 10 minutes later, you told me that you got a text from Hitch that said, uh, the goaltender was crap. You know, like... <laughs> So he's telling you what's going on, but he's that's how all coaches are. I I I still I get a kick out of Boudreaux and some like even just now we're talking to Boudreaux right before the game and he is giving the most diplomatic answers. Where deep down I'm pretty positive I know exactly (laughs) what he means. And then the the recorders come off and he just kind of gives you these wide eyes and you just know that it's like he's telling you with no words. Everything I just said is a load of crap. Just but go. You got to love that coach reporter relationship, which is I mean, I think one thing that I think makes us you know good at the job that we do is that we seem to always we're able to cover these coaches um, in a very objective way. But we do usually have really good relationships with them, the coaches that we cover. Yeah, you try to. One of us here uh, does a good job. But uh, <laughs> the other one, you know, you have to have a good relationship with the coach. And, you know, things have changed. I think people, uh, readers, listeners to the podcast, you know, you, you don't see the behind the scenes. There are some coaches like a Ken Hitchcock. We couldn't get rid of him in terms of <laughs> after the scrum, yeah. when you're interviewing him, he'd pull up a chair and he'd say, have a seat. And yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, I've got a blog, a chat. I got to tweet what you just said. And he'd say, oh, pull up a chair and he would tell you everything you know off the record which is probably why we can't you know talk to a lot of the coaches (laughs) now Uh, but now we have a situation Craig Bruby's been terrific for this team but it's up to the podium six quotes and he's done and and so it's a little bit different uh, in terms of developing that that. Bruce we get Bruce would hang out with us every second of the day if the PR people would let him (laughs) Uh, and he's the most accessible coach I've ever covered it'll be a bad day when he eventually loses his job just from a personal perspective um, but it, it Hitch is old school like that. I even when I like I've never covered him yet. He's one of the coaches I've always been really tight with, and he's he sort of has that baseball manager's mentality where he will he, you you could talk to him in his office. He's got his feet up on his desk. You're talking about everything in life. It's just it was just a kind of a cool. Uh, he's old school. He yeah. actually likes talking to reporters, and it's so great because Mike, I know you have this kind of relationship with him too. You know what's on the record and what's off. Yes. he doesn't even have to say yep. off. You yep. just know. And, exactly. uh, and he can trust you. Yeah. And he um, he's just he is one of those people that to me was, um, you know, I, I, I love when he's back in the league because he's he's somebody that when you sit down with him, you feel like you've kind of learned something, everything away every time you're with him. But I totally re- understand what you say, that sometimes you're just looking at the watch like, are we done here? <laughs> Terry Murray used to be like that in Florida when I covered him down there. He would talk. 
you know, for 10 minutes to you on the record, but then he'd want to just shoot the breeze with you for a half hour. And you're kind of like, I got to write. Yeah. You know, so um, what is it like to cover a Stanley Cup championship? Because obviously I've never gotten a chance to do that. I cover Minnesota. <laughs> um, the <laughs> It goes back before that, though. Yeah, I covered Florida, too. But, I, you know, even in 95, 96, when I was around them, I was like the backup to the backup to the backup to the backup. I was I don't really count the fact that I, even though that was my first year that I was I wasn't the beat writer or anything close to it. But. The one thing that's always fascinating to me is that you go into the playoffs as beat writers and you're covering your team. You don't know when it's going to end. And your team just kept on going and going and going where all of a sudden you're just working the entire – I mean, you are – like, first of all, let me ask you, are you burnt out right now? Because I'm sure it feels like you never had an off season. No, it it, uh, it was a short off season for yep. sure. Uh, you know, I will say this. I remember in uh, January, February, my wife saying, uh, hey, we're thinking about booking a vacation with our friends. You know, when should we do it? And I said, well, you, you know, they're in last place. You can book it in April, May, whenever yeah. you want to do it. And then all of a sudden they started winning. And I said, hey, you better hang on to that or get some insurance or something. And, and so uh, – uh, you know, it was a long, long stretch of hockey, but the adrenaline's flowing not only with you and, you know, trying to come up with good story ideas yeah. uh, for the athletic, but the city, as you can understand, is just buzzing. And especially like if the Blues had won three cups, it still would have been fever pitch. But you're talking about a city, you know, that came into the league in 1967 mm-hmm. and, and never experienced that before. So, you know, to come, uh, to come back from Boston after winning in game seven, I'll never forget this, like the parades ready to go. And, and uh, I said to the PR department, I said, listen, you know, if I'm 20 deep in this parade, uh, in terms of being behind the, the people, the fans, it's going to be tough to write about this parade. He said, well, go up and ask one of the players, uh, if you could jump on one of their floats. And obviously, you know, we don't want to be part of the story, but right. I'm trying to be inconspicuous, hard to do when you're 270 pounds. But, you know, I said to Jake Allen, Hey, you mind if I jump on your, your float? And he said, yeah, no problem. Just sit on the back. It was a fire truck mike for almost my entire life i grew up in st louis uh they they said that there's going to be a parade on market street like you've never seen before Mm -hmm. and as jake allen's fire truck turns onto market street and i see a crowd that's 20 Mm -hmm. deep hanging from bus stops hanging from street signs and i look up and i see that market street sign it was just spine tingling yeah and the the fans here i mean they they they're so passionate about hockey and um to, to me what made the, the the cup run even more fascinating is it was so unpredictable just because they were in last place. Like nobody in their right mind could have thought that this was going to happen in January, February, March. Yeah, and you lose a couple games uh, on home ice. Uh, things weren't looking good. You go up to Winnipeg, and Jaden Schwartz scores with 15 seconds to go. Here's a guy who scored 11 goals in the regular season. He's got 12 in the playoffs. You got the whole Jordan Bennington sensation. He's asking, do I look nervous? And people are wearing shirts. Do I look nervous? You get into the Boston series, and and Pat Maroon skating over to the uh, to the uh, Boston bench and saying, you guys are effed. You know, like, yeah. there was just a story every single day uh, you came to the rink. The one stat that sticks out, not to get numbers on you here, but the Blues went 10-3 and three on the road in the playoffs last year. Like, that doesn't happen. And to put that in perspective, the Wild have like one or two road wins in the last seven, six years that yeah. they made the playoffs. 10 and 3. I mean, this city, you know, we can move on to something here, uh, but uh, this city, when they lost game six on home ice, a chance to win that Stanley Cup, and everybody said, you're going to Boston to win, uh, try to win a game seven. You know, it didn't 
look like it could be done. They win their 10th game on, on, uh, on the road to win the Stanley yeah. Cup, and it just capped off uh, what was an amazing run. A couple more questions about it. Um, it does seem like uh, you have a really good relationship with Tom Stillman, as I do I with Craig Leopold, the wild owner. And I read your story when you went to uh, – you, you, you were able to go to his party with him and the Cup and right behind the scenes – um, you know what? What was that like to see the owner of a team, somebody that sinks a ton of money in here, lets Doug Armstrong be as aggressive as he wants as a GM, um, celebrate that? And uh, because I, I remember talking to Craig Leopold, I'm like, you got to read Jeremy's story on Tom Stillman. He's like, I can't, you know, I just don't want to. <laughs> yeah, because because I, you know, when, reading that story, I'm sort of envisioning what it would have been like for Craig Leopold, to, or what it could be like for Craig Leopold to finally after owning an NHL team since 1998 celebrate. Yeah. And you know, I'm pulling for Craig Leopold uh, after a blues game one night, we spent some time with him and, and I, sh- I was the odd guy, you know, in that crowd, I'm sitting next to Craig Leopold and Marty Brodeur having a conversation um, and got to see Craig Leopold's uh, place there in, in Minnesota. So I, I'm really pulling for him and he does all the right things too. You're talking about uh, Tom Stillman um, giving Doug Armstrong control to do things. I mean, look what, what Craig does. They're going to have a good team there one day. And you know, he's made some tough decisions, Craig and, you know, one of the best ones bringing uh, Billy Guerin in. But in terms of Tom Stillman and the relationship here, you have to have a good relationship with the owner. And I feel like I've built one uh, with Tom. I do have to admit, though, when that email comes in and you see uh, that you've got an email from Tom and Mary Stillman and you're thinking, what's this? And you click on it and it's an e-invite and the Blues logo is on the envelope and it flips open and this card comes out and it says you're invited to the owner's Stanley Cup party. You're like, did they send this to the wrong uh, email address? But you know, you go there and there's a Chris Pronger. Uh, there's yeah. a, just everybody a who's who from uh, the Blues organization history, um, and and you saw you know just the way that they were able to celebrate after so many years of putting in the hard work. Uh, you felt good for him. There were so many incredible storylines that you were able to write uh, during that Stanley Cup run. Um, but you know, then we all of a sudden start the season here. They have the banner raising, and then the White House visit. And <laughs> we we talked that day. I mean, first of all, I want to ask you, what's it like going to the White House? I remember in 1998 covering the Stanley Cup Finals. Washington, Detroit, a bunch of us went to the to the White House pre-9-11, essentially rolling around. But, you know, I was a kid then. I don't know how much I appreciated, appreciated it. What's it like kind of being in this type of environment there? And then the second part of this question is, obviously, when you're covering a story like this, it's sort of a no-win situation. You're going to piss somebody off, even though it's a non-political story. You're writing it from a blues celebrating a Stanley Cup standpoint. But still, you're having to deal with a bunch of you know, a bunch of essentially criticism based on just this, uh, you writing a, a piece on them. Right, right. right. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, you and I are kind of like we book the travel ahead for the season for the road trips. And so I had done that. And then all of a sudden they drop the White House on you and they say, hey, it's going to be um, October 15th. And uh, so you're like, oh, shoot, how can I work this in? So I actually flew to D.C., took an Uber to the White House covered the event, Ubered back to Reagan Airport, and then flew back that day just to cover the event. And uh, just a quick side story is I get there, and I didn't fill out my application process properly, so I'm not on the list to get in. After I've already flown to D.C., and they said, hey, we're going to have to uh, run a clearance on you real quick to get you in the White House. And uh, I was just like, thank God I don't have a couple arrests on this record, or else <laughs> I'm probably not getting in. But, you know, it's just a hot topic, you know, hot-button situation in, in D.C. right now with 
with uh, the president. And, uh, you know, I'm not a political person. I just wanted to go there and cover the event and just tell Blues fans what it was like for these players uh, to go to the mm-hmm. White House. But, Mike, to uh, to land back in St. Louis after a long, long day at 10 o'clock at night and drive home. And so I flip open my laptop at 11 o'clock and uh, to start writing – when the cursor is blinking and you know it doesn't matter which way you write it, it is just going to be a dumpster fire yeah. in terms of the reaction. It was tough. I think I called you and said, Mike, yeah. what do I do here? Yeah. You know, how do and I write I, this? I think I told you. I'm like, to me, it's just like you got to write the story. I mean, it's, it's just like just make it non-political. It's about them celebrating a Stanley Cup championship for the first time in Stanley Cup history or in, uh, Blues history. And then just whatever the fans think they think, you're yeah. going to have – you're going to have – People on either side be pissed off just based on whoever's in in the White House, you know, good or bad. Yeah, and I think I got like uh, maybe 160 comments, so about the same number of comments that you get for a fourth line story <laughs> up there at uh... or a uh, meltdown from three nothing <laughs> down, uh, three nothing up. That didn't uh, happen. God. Come on. Oh my lord. Um, let me do this. Uh, you know, yep. if you know Jeremy and I, you know that we both uh, like to eat. Uh, I just want to take a minute to tell you about DoorDash. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SOURCE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code SOURCE. Don't forget, that's promo code SOURCE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Back here on the uh, Straight from the Source episode, uh, very pleased again that Jeremy Rutherford from the, uh, I almost said St. Louis Dispatch, but the <laughs> Athletic uh, joining me. We're inside the St. Louis Blues offices, uh, warm-up start in about 38 minutes. Um, I do want to talk about our kind of relationship. I mean, we, you, you have, I have been friends for a long time, but just in a total really coincidence is that uh, we were sort of recruited by the Athletic at the exact same time. Not sort of, we were. We went through this together um both of us early august two years ago get calls from alex mather and adam hansman about coming to the athletic it was a month of agony a month of a a hundred phone calls um and it it was stressful because we were both at great newspapers places that we had been for years loved looking back on it now i mean first of all doesn't it seem like a century ago two in hindsight seeing what they've built adam and alex at the athletic I mean, it almost seems laughable that we were stressed to go. It's amazing. You know, I enjoyed my job. It was a dream job covering the blues for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I started there when I was 19 years old as a stringer. But I'll never forget uh, emailing Craig Custance. And and I said, Craig, if you guys come to St. Louis, just, you know, keep me in mind. And I think the next day I was on the phone with the co-founder, Alex (laughs) Mather, saying, hey, would you join us? And so it took a couple weeks, a couple, three weeks. And, you know, I know, Mike, we've talked about this before. But I think you and I might have talked like every day for 30 days. Yeah. And one day you were saying, I'm going, and I said, Mike, I can't do it. It's too big it's of a risk. It's unbelievable the amount of calls that you and I had and the length of them. Like I, I lived in downtown Minneapolis at the time, and I remember walking, doing these walks around the river, and I would talk to you for the entire walk. I mean, we're talking hour walk. Yeah. 
like just you and I debating on what we should do. And, and you were like, uh, you know, are they going to read? Like how many people yeah. are going to read each story? Like I'm getting thousands and thousands of reads yeah. on my story at the newspaper. And, you know, I just don't know if people are going to read it. And, and Mike, so here we are a couple of years later and what the athletic uh, has become uh, well beyond what we contribute is, is just flat out amazing. Yeah. I've never, you know, the one thing that sticks in my mind is Alex Mather said, uh, again, he's the co-founder. Uh, you will do your best work of your career mm -hmm. here at the Athletic, yeah. and at the time you're thinking, "Come on, you know that's yeah. a a sales pitch." But then uh, we have, like, I really do feel like the time we've been given to put into some of these stories, uh, make the extra phone call, find out the tidbit that you didn't know exists when you started writing the story, and you know, for Athletic subscribers who are listening to this, you know, I'm not soliciting this comment, mm -hmm. but when you comment. This is why I subscribe to the athletic under a story, you know, yeah. that we've written. It just makes your day better it's, than anything anybody could it's tell such you. Such a more and, and this is no slight because I loved working at the Star Tribune, but it's such a more satisfying feeling. Even though people were subscribing to you there too, there's just something more personal because you sort of know that if that person's reading you, they are paying because they wanted to read you at the athletic, because there's many places to read about the wild. Um, but yet they sort of came and followed, and that's the same thing with you here. It's just a more personal gratification. Yeah, and you know, you felt it when you were at the newspaper, a connection to the readers, you certainly did. Like there's some of the yeah. same readers, right, that yeah. you had at the paper and you have at the athletic. But you know, when I tell you this, it's not for a pat on the back, but because you know there are people pulling out their credit card to pay yep. fifty and sixty dollars, uh, Mike, um, one of the most uh, famous blues player, uh, under the radar guy. Barkley Plager was on those early teams, 1967, 68, 69. These are, uh, this is um, Bob's brother. Mm -hmm. He passed away in the late 80s because of cancer. So I asked Bob, hey, are you going to have the cup and are you going to take it to Barkley's cemetery? And he said, yeah. And he tells me the date. And I looked at the calendar and, and, and it was the same weekend we were going camping with my wife and my kids. And so long story short, uh, we drove down about two hours, set up the campsite, got everybody ready, put the hot dogs on the grill, whatever you do. And I turned around and got back in the car and drove back to the cemetery. And I did that for the readers because I yeah. felt like there were longstanding blues fans who would like to know what it was like that day uh, when they're pouring champagne on Barkley Plager's grave. And, you know, it just motivates you yeah. uh, when you have a situation like amazing that. Amazing story, amazing video as well. Uh, if you go back, if you haven't read that, if you're listening in Minnesota, I would go back to the blues page and look that up. Um, what I what I find so coincidental about the whole thing is in that July I was in Europe and I'm sort of counseling Aaron Portsline uh, from afar because he was thinking of leaving a great job at the Columbus Dispatch to go to the Athletic and I remember talking to him and I'm talking to a really good friend of mine on the trip and I'm like oh, yeah man what a step I couldn't do it I couldn't do it eight days later <laughs> I get a text from Alex Mather and now I'm on the phone with him and again I'm just I took the call because to yeah. me you don't turn down stuff like that. Yeah. And I talked to Alex for an hour, and I was ready to jump and go there. And I didn't even really understand what yeah. the athletic was, but he's just got this way about him. And I remember, if you remember that whole month, we're in agony. We're stressed beyond belief. And I finally said to Alex on the phone one day, I said, you know what? I cannot take a job without looking you guys in the eye. Can I fly to California? And he goes, book a flight to San Francisco. I'll send you a hotel. Um, fly out here tomorrow. So I fly out to San Francisco. They put me up at the St. Regis. I go have uh, breakfast with Alex. We go up to their offices, which was three offices ago, by the way. <laughs> go up. I sit there with them. Alex and Adam tell me their plan. It, it is essentially what they've become. Like I, I look back on it now, and I'm like, 
how do these two guys know, have this vision and the guts to, to create this? Because everything they told me in this that day, they've really happened. I remember they told me, we're going to go to the UK and become the premier place to read about soccer on our app. And here we are. Yeah. They started essentially another company to go overseas. And so then I go to lunch with Adam Hansman. I go back to their offices, meet with them. I go to a party that night for one of the uh, employees' birthday parties. You know, again, I'm not an employee yet. I go to dinner with Alex that night. We're walking back to the hotel. I know deep down I'm taking this job at this point. <laughs> but I, am, I have you in the back of my head. And so I go to sleep that night. I can't sleep. I write him sort of an email and kind of like, these are really what I want. I send it to him at like 4 a.m. He writes me back in 10 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Done. <laughs> and so now I call you. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I call you from the, the lobby of the St. Regis the next morning, and we talk for 40 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going. Yeah. I'm taking this job. I yeah, because like I didn't go out there, but yeah. I remember you calling and saying, they're real. They're yeah. real. This like, is going to happen. Legit. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, here we are two years later, and, and we were the, I mean, it's got, it's, to me, it's a source of pride that we were essentially the sixth and seventh hockey writers at The Athletic. Yeah, no, that was fun. Um, but I have to speak on behalf of all the other hockey beat writers. Mike, you have to slow down. Let's, let's three less podcasts <laughs> per day. You know, let's, uh, two less unbelievable features per month. Like, quit raising the standards so high. It's hard to keep up with yeah. that. But yeah, I mean, it, it just, it has been such a great career move yeah. here. What do you think? Uh, let's let's move on from the athletic. Um, but uh, what do you think right now of this league? Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody today. Um, this conference is like upside down. There's some crappy teams in this conference right now. I yeah, mean, I watched LA the other day, and they're awful. You know, San Jose has been god awful. Minnesota has been terrible. Um, it, you know, Calgary got off to a slow start. Um, one other oh, Dallas up until last night against the Wild just been terrible. It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. And uh, you know where it really hit me? I was doing the athletic power rankings. I don't know if you did those yeah. a couple days ago. We had to turn those in. And uh, you know what? You do the first eight or ten teams, and you're like, here's some decent teams here. And I know the league's got a ton of parity, uh, but those last eighteen or twenty teams, including some of the ones you just mentioned, yeah. like you know, I know it was anonymous when we filled out our preseason uh, picks, but I had Dallas winning the West. Yeah. Like. You look at those guys now. I mean, it's 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 insane. And some of the teams you just mentioned, San Jose. Like I'm scrolling through Twitter, and Kevin Kurz, our colleague, has a headline that says, "Are they really this bad?" You know, yeah. like it's it's amazing. You just sign Eric Carlson, and so uh, yeah, the league is uh, looks like it's a little bit upside down right now. But let me tell you, speaking from experience, last year some teams can go from last yes. to first yeah. in a couple months. Now let me ask you this though. Was that an aberration? Because the one thing that you're going to have to, especially as a beat writer and blues fans are going to have to just laugh at, is the amount of articles that will come out with coaches. I mean, Bruce did a game like Bruce four already the did season. it. I think I retweeted like, it. As yeah, soon I mean, as you... like, how many teams are going to be like, well, the St. Louis Blues went from last in the in the entire National Hockey League on January 3rd and won the Cup? I mean, that is going to be for the rest of time. Yeah, the one thing I'll say to that is uh, if those same people who talk about that go back to the early season predictions, the Blues were predicted to finish, you yeah. know, one, two, three in the Central Division, had a good team. They traded for Ryan O'Reilly. They brought in uh, uh, David Perron and Tyler Bozak. Obviously, those aren't huge names, but Pat Maroon, they really solidified some of the issues that they had. Uh, you know, they just had uh, some issues, I, I think, with uh, the coaching with Mike Yo. I, you know, I know that. Mike meant well, and, and I know that uh, a lot of the 
the players liked Mike, um, but early on it just wasn't working. And was it a situation where they just needed to gel and come together and it would have come together in time under Mike Yo? We don't know, and we'll never know that. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing, Mike didn't have uh, the goaltender to get it done. So uh, we talked about Craig Bruby. He comes in and he was just a major influence. You get the, the goalie and uh, it just turned around. So I guess to answer your question is people can use that. Bruce has used it. Other coaches have used it. But we are talking about a team that was pretty dang good at the start of last year and yeah. on paper and should have been a lot better on the ice. The story I still would love to read one day is if Mike would sit down with you and, and just sort of cut open a vein about – because it had to be just so – you know, uncomfortable. Like you could say what you, you know, like, there's just no easy way around it. It's it, it. And we saw we, you and I, you know, I flew with him. I walked around the Minneapolis airport the day that we flew out to the draft. And then we just coincidentally ran into you at baggage claim at Vancouver. And you could just tell he's, he's just, he's just like, he looked uncomfortable in his own skin because the blues had just won the cup. And I think in his mind, he's thinking everybody's looking at him as like, well, they fired you and that's why they won it. I mean, it's gotta be, you know, one day I just hope he kind of like really just explains what those, you know, four or five months were like because it had to be. First of all, I think it'd be a great story. And I think he's such a human. Yeah. I mean, for lack of a better term. But if you know Mike, a very as well good guy. As, yeah. Like, yeah. I, it had to be just so difficult. Yeah. Uh, that and was... Not from a mean spirited standpoint. No. I'm not saying that he like was rooting against the Blues, but it had to be hard to watch from afar. Yeah, Mike, that uh, day that we saw each other, the three of us, me, you, and, and Mike Yo at the baggage claim, that had been the first time that I had seen him since mm -hmm. he had been uh, fired that night. I've reached out to him, you know, several times, yeah. you know, but he says he, he doesn't want to talk and, and total, I, I understand that. Um, but it's a situation where, you know, you can't help but feel for him uh, yeah. because um, he feels, and probably understandably so, that he could have saw that same thing through and the team would have would have gelled and perhaps... Uh, you know, won a cup with him. Um, but I tell you one thing that day, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, as I'm walking up on you and Mike Yo, uh, you look at me and in front of Mike say, so how have your last two months been? And yeah. I was like, how do I answer this yeah, question? Yeah, that was probably a dumb, dumb <laughs> no, thing no, to no. say. No, 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 But I'm sitting that there. That was all, yeah. Maybe that's why he was uncomfortable yeah. with his own skin is well, that's the stupidest thing to you. Well, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but I just covered a Stanley Cup. You know, do we have to say it in front what of Mike Yo? What a freaking Yo, but... moron I am. Oh, my God. All right, yeah. What I do to I, you yeah that was stupid all right <laughs> all right well that's typical mike russo actually right there um let me just uh we'll, we'll start to wrap up here we have a game to cover here in a little bit you know it's very stressful this uh, existence that we have um but i do want to ask you like um you know you and i are friends but i actually don't really know how you started i mean you, you started at the st louis dispatch as yeah. a kid yeah uh, which is funny because i mean i grew up in the newspaper industry too i started at the sun sentinel at age 15 oh I my never goodness ever in my life applied for a job. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we got very, very lucky. But I get emails daily uh, from students that just want to know how you get into this business. We had very unique paths, got lucky. I don't know if you could, in today's day and age, do what we did. I don't think you can. Yeah, it's I mean, tough. it's just a different world now. Um, but, uh, you know, one, how much you, did you grow up wanting to be a sports writer or, or, or what? Because yeah. I can tell you I didn't. Uh, yeah, no, I did. And I, I still don't. <laughs> Mike, I folded up the sports page and had it in my back pocket, mm -hmm. eighth grade. And I could read the first couple paragraphs of a story and tell you without seeing the byline which writer uh, wrote it. I knew I wanted to be a sports writer. Mm -hmm. Let me speed through this story because, you know, I, I think yeah. in talking about this, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I lived with my grandma and grandpa, and I came home from school one day, 
And uh, I said, I want to be a sports writer. And they said, wow. you need to call uh, the newspaper and tell them that because uh, we were listening to a radio show. They said, you should get started in the field as soon as you can. And so I called the Post-Dispatch the next day. I'm 18 years old. They literally hung up on me. I can still hear the dial tone in my ear. And the next day I called uh, the local uh, paper, the suburban journals. And they said, yeah, we're trying to cover little league sports. None of us want to cover it. We're all in our thirties and forties. If you can go cover a mm -hmm. bunch of six and eight year old kids, we'd love it. And so one day I walked up to the coach and interviewed him and he stepped back and I said, well, why do you step back? And he said, I'm the sports editor of the post dispatch. And, uh, he happened to be coaching wow. this youth team. And so he, he called me and, uh, and said, Hey, can you come down to the post dispatch on Monday? So that weekend, I go to a St. Louis Cardinal baseball game. There's a rain delay. I go to the Cardinal Hall of Fame during the rain delay, and I see one of this guy's articles, the editor of the Post-Dispatch. I see one of his articles hanging up in the Hall of Fame. I memorized the lead. It was about 60 words, memorized it. I walk into his office two days later, and I start saying his lead in his office. He's like, what are you mumbling there? I said, oh, that's your lead to your article in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. He said, I have an article in the Cardinal Hall of Fame? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He goes, when can you start? So, uh, that's awesome. you know, that's how it happened. And, you know, I'll just throw into, I knew uh, I wanted to be a Cardinal baseball player uh, when I was young, but I got a base hit up the middle. It went over the mound, over second base. I saw the center fielder scoop it up. And as I'm taking that last step to first base, I heard the gloves snap and they threw me out from uh, center field. So <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had no future in, uh, in baseball, so I might as well cover it. Well, I've told yeah. this story before. I, I became a sports writer at age 15 because I was playing freshman football. <laughs> we were playing Pahokee High School. I'm lined up as like a tight end. I stare at this like 6'6 guy with a beard that's drooling, and I faked an injury. <laughs> that's how I became a sports writer. Not only did I fake an injury, but it was offsides, and I never played a sna another oh, snap of goodness. football. My uh, coach, I think, knew what I did there. I, yeah. I essentially became a sports writer the next day. I started to announce... All my uh, uh, baseball, basketball, and football games at my high school, do PA, manager, play-by-play -play on Adelphia cable, like cable access and things like that. And I just befriended all the local sports writers. And they loved me because, you know, when you cover high school sports, the hardest job is to keep your stats. Well, they love me because I did it. So they could actually come watch the game, keep notes, not worry about stats, and then I'd feed it to them after the game. And one of the guys, coincidentally, that I befriended – was a guy named David O'Brien, who now is the Athletics Atlanta Braves writer. Wow. And so I covered amazing. Palm Beach High Schools with him forever, but what was really coincidental is he eventually became the Broward County uh, high school writer down in South Florida before the Marlins, before he covered the Marlins. And one day he gets sick, and I had never really written an article other than like for the Boca News, and they said to me, hey, we need you to go up to Deerfield Beach and cover this football game. And Mark Renaud was a star uh, running back for them. I think he eventually played at Michigan State. And I'm covering the game. First half, he breaks this, uh, he breaks Emmett Smith's state rushing record for half. And I mean, it sounds like a stupid thing, but I had the wear the smarts to call work and tell them, "Hey, something big's going on here. You might want to get a photographer out here. This guy's on on verge of breaking the state high school rushing record for a game." And they quickly got a photographer out. He <laughs> broke the record. I wrote this gigantic story, and like all of a sudden, they're like, "Wow, you're a really good reporter." Wow. And to me, it's like all I did was make a phone call. But it was like you know, like right away, they're like, "Yeah, you have a reporter instinct." 
And then I covered high schools, and eventually, I mean, I just grew up with the newspaper. And it, it just shows you got to get your foot in the door Just somehow, somehow just somehow. Yeah, yeah anybody listening, you're, we just said that, you know, it's not that way anymore, the way that we got into it. But you, the bottom line is you just have to get your foot in the door. And now you've created this Hall of Fame hockey uh, career. <laughs> I always tell you that please let me do your speech. And, Mike, the other thing i got to tell you is every time a Minnesota Wild player becomes a Blues player, so we're talking about Brodziak and Prosser uh-huh. and those guys, first thing I do, I walk up to him, I say, I won't be near as hard on you as Mike Russo was. And they said, thanks. Just please thank you. That guy, holy smokes. (laughs) Can't be Prosser. Prosser's the nicest guy in the world. I've covered that guy a bunch. In fact, I got a text from his dad today, coincidentally. Um, Can you have Billy Geese and uh, Brad here? Oh, oh my God. Brad Hunt. That guy. What a treasure. Uh, Honestly, like Brad Hunt, he like he take you, everybody needs like a Nate Prosser type person in the locker room and Brad Hunt has now fit that role perfectly for us. You know, there's never a bad day in that guy's career. He's just happy to be here. Couldn't be nicer. Uh, just an absolute awesome, uh, awesome yeah. guy. Uh, well, we have a game to cover. Really appreciate Jeremy you coming on here. Yep. Uh, hopefully, Blues fans, uh, even the ones that I've blocked on Twitter, uh, <laughs> d- realize now that I'm not an absolute asshole. Uh, are we allowed to say that on the athletic? I don't I know. Assume we're allowed. Yeah. Especially there was some kid named Brendan that called me a Chihuahua. The other <laughs> oh my day. goodness. Uh, so uh, hopefully, Blues fans know that I'm not the biggest uh, jerk in the world. Thanks, Jeremy, for coming on straight from the source. Good to see you, buddy.